Adventures between the Arctic and Antarctic. Listen to Arvid Fuchs on the Ocean Change podcast. Welcome to this podcast episode. This is Bärbel Fehning in Hamburg. Yes, hello, and this is Arvid in Bad Bramstedt. <laughs> Arvid, 34 years ago, you bought Dagmar on. And um, what did you have in mind at that time? Did you plan to go with this ship to the Arctic and to the Antarctic, or what was your intention? Yes, Dagmar on used to be an old fishing vessel, North Sea fishing vessel. And uh, so uh, she was built in 1931. So uh, she was uh, decommissioned for the fishery. And uh, so a friend of mine bought her, rebuilt her. And But when, when I bought her in the late 80s, so I started to rebuild her completely and reinforced her for, for the ice. And I always had the, the idea of... Uh, traveling into polar areas so and therefore i needed a very stout and strong vessel and uh, and that was the dagmaon <laughs> how did you get the idea to to travel into the polar area i mean you had been on foot at the north pole and at the south pole um was that the point when this idea when the seed was planted well i think that's traveling by boat uh to the polar areas is a traditional way of approaching the the polar area. I, I grew up with all the books of Friedrich Nansen and and Amundsen and and uh, whoever did expeditions in these areas. So uh, they became very familiar to me, and uh, I always wanted to have a boat to be independent. So if if you fly to some uh, remote areas, I mean, you you just uh, rely on airports and and aircrafts and and so. Uh, but traveling by boat, you're you're independent. I mean, you you just um, decide yourself where you want to land and where you want to go. And also, you can carry all the equipment you need. So it was not just uh, the idea of um, sailing from from Hamburg, I don't know, to Greenland and. Uh, saying, well, we arrived and now we are heading back. No, we wanted to, to sail to Greenland to stay. And that was the idea. So we carried uh, all kind of equipment like uh, pulka sledges and skis and tents and cold weather gear and, and whatever was needed for, for an expedition. And uh, so the boat was then our base camp. And uh, we started um, land expeditions from the boat. And that's what I meant. So it's, it's, it's a traditional way of doing polar expeditions. And uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's very fascinating to do it that way. How did you get to know the ice and the rules you have to follow in the ice? Did you have a kind of apprenticeship um, with the Inuits? Yeah, well, I... I was fascinated by the polar area since I was a little boy, and uh, I started to yeah to to uh, get the the training, of course. So I did a lot of sports when I was a young man, also, and uh, so I I decided to. Uh, 
to go to the Arctic areas uh, to get the knowledge how to to survive and uh, how to live in the cold Arctic. And uh, so uh, in the early 80s or late 70s and early 80s, I, I went to the Canadian Arctic. Uh, and uh, I, I used to live with the Inuit people who became basically my, my, my teacher. And uh, so... I stayed there for a couple of months and then I turned back and went back home and then I came back again. And so uh, I, I somehow became, yeah, I must say, addicted to ice. So I, I, I had a liking for this landscape, for the people in, in, in particular. So I have friends among the indigenous people, not only in Canada, but also in Greenland and uh, also in Alaska and and and. and, and, and uh, Chukotka and some some other places, and uh, so uh, it's it's a very old culture, and uh, it, it was amazing to to live with these people and to learn from them, also to to yeah to get to know their philosophy, uh, dealing with a with a ice with a cold, and this really uh, was something I, I wanted to to uh, keep doing. Wow. What was the most impressing detail about ice they, they taught you? How do you read the ice? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the variety of ice. So it's not only, only ice, it's not only ice. So you, you have a big variety of, of different kind of ice. And you must uh, understand what kind of ice you're traveling on. So if you travel on on, uh, on thin ice, on, on black ice, for example, so the color tells you a lot about the ice. So if it's uh, getting kind of dark and, and, and black, so it's it's usually unsafe. And uh, But even if you travel on thin ice, you, you have to know whether it's, it's capable of carrying you. And Uh, if if it's it's too thin, you just break through and you will drown or freeze to death or whatever. It's just as simple as that, and you have to know um, the kind of ice you're traveling on, and you have to be uh, aware of uh, the different kind of snow. And uh, so the, the indigenous people know all about it, and and uh, it's something you can learn. It, it's it's not easy because it takes. Uh, Yes, and, and I'm, I'm still learning a lot. So, uh, and, and this is interesting. I like to learn things from, from people who know. What did they think about you, the German guy who travels on his own in the Arctic or Antarctic? Yeah, you have to be aware that this was uh, yeah, in 1979 and uh, 1980, and we did not have such things as internet. And uh, <laughs> uh, there was no email, there was no navigation system, there was no smartphone, no, nothing at all. So I, I just looked at the map and then said, well, there's a tiny little settlement up north in the Canadian Arctic called Greece Fjord. And uh, so it was an adventure by itself to just to get to this settlement because they didn't have any regular flights or whatever and i eventually got there and it, i think it was mid-february it was blowing snow it was cold minus 40 or something like that and i just uh, stood on the ice and was quite happy that i finally made it and and the people didn't like the idea a bit to uh, to take care of of a young 
German guy who just uh, stepped out of the plane and they told me, well, what do you want here? I said, I want to stay here and, and learn from you. And they said, yeah, we are not interested a bit and we do not want to babysit you. So you better step in the plane and, and go down south right away. And uh, so I, I, it was pretty frustrating for me because I was um, very keen on, on staying there. And uh, on, on the other side, I was lucky because I, I just listened to a conversation and they looked all concerned because they had a diesel generator so there were only about a hundred people living in the settlement and they had a diesel generator and that broke down in minus 40 degrees and all the the heating and uh, the light electricity everything relied on 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 this um, broken down generator so it was a matter of a couple of hours and everything would be frozen up solid and i said well my profession is a marine engineer and uh, I, I, I might have a look at it. So if, if I can't do anything, I, I can just step <laughs> in the plane and fly down south if you want me to leave. But uh, let me just try and if I can do something. And they said, well, okay, um, go ahead. And it, it took half an hour or so and the generator was running again and the village had electricity and heating and I was allowed to stay. So uh, it was a matter of good luck. Lucky you. Wow. <laughs> Abed, I think we're looking forward to listening to you in the next episode. And that's it for today. Okay, Bella. Thank you very much for sharing this with us. You're most welcome. Thank you very much. That was the podcast Ocean Change by Arvid Fuchs and Babel Fenig. 